I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. The podcast from two brothers who watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Welcome to today's episode. It's a big one. My client! <laughs> no, it's a, it's a big one. It's New Scorsese, Killers of the Flower Moon. Marty season. It's not, you've heard about spooky season. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's Marty season. We talk uh, killers. We saw it together in person in a movie theater. <laughs> it was such a great experience, except we'll, <laughs> you'll hear about our theater experience. You'll hear about what we thought about in the movie. We'll hear about what we think about Marty, his whole project at Human Evil. So it's a fun episode, really. Stay tuned to find out who killed the flower moon. <laughs> Let's jump right in. Let's jump in, sleepyheads. Another year, another Matthew's birthday movie. In person. In person. In IMAX. In, in the real... Insect In the man. real deal IMAX. I'm going to be honest with you, that IMAX theater was not good. Oh, it was not a good experience. Uh, the, the film itself, amazing. It was so hot. The theater was terrible. It was the usually you wear you bring a little jacket I know. or a little hoodie because the movie theater is known for being. You're gonna cold. get cozy. And my God, I'm like they're cooking some COVID up in here <laughs> with the swamp like. <laughs> oh my gosh! But I, this IMAX, this movie is three and a half hours long, and I saw it twice this week. Because, no, no, you saw it twice in a 24 hour period. <laughs> yeah, hey, I, I'm a gauntlet movie goer. Name me one uh, other guy who did that this weekend. Film world. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and I had made plans, and then plans had changed, and new plans popped up. And just by the fate of me, I, I got to see this movie twice in a 24-hour time period. But And what's the movie we're talking about? The Nun 2. <laughs> uh, of course, Killers of the Flower Moon. Potentially our most anticipated Marty. movie of the year. So, this movie's three and a half hours long, and there are zero orc fights that happened during it <laughs> so naturally on my second viewing at like 10 30 and we still got an hour and a half to go i go back out sure to do. the concession stand because i'm like i need a, i need a revamp here and this imax is like oh yeah yeah 10 minutes after the movie starts we're done we're <laughs> with the concessions yeah I'm like i i know it's probably inappropriate for me to dur- during the exposition of america's original <laughs> of greed and overconsumption um you know at the expense of the lives of many other people sure of like i'm sure some imported chocolate that is <laughs> oh oh i see i see what you're saying <laughs> uh, i i know it's wrong for me to you know have that feeling of like <sighs> Dude, where are my snacks during this movie? <laughs> I need them. I need to be gobbling. <laughs> As I watched Leo's big dumb face say, oh, I, I do love money. He was almost doing Bill Clinton in that movie. Um, but I can't help it. I, can't, I think concession stands should stay open for as long as the movies are playing in the theater. Yeah, the problem is the this IMAX downtown is a real IMAX, so we take pride in this. Except they, they've only got one screen. So, you know, at the 8.30 showing, it's the last showing of the night. They don't have other showings coming up on a different screen or anything. So they, they shut that thing down. Yeah, I think it's a bad bad omen for a theater to only have one screen. Yeah, it, well, it's it been doesn't there for feel, 30 years. I know, it just doesn't feel right. They should dig underground or something and build another one. That's a phase. 
So they should go underground for another one. Start digging. Digging for that all. So it, it was hot. It was hot. I was desperately thirsty. I know. <laughs> I couldn't get a water. <laughs> Uh, and and I had bought the small water before because I was trying to manage my bladder for this three and a half the, hour. The long chairs movie. are actually pretty uncomfortable, and I'm not one to yeah. complain about movie theater chairs. I think the Lazy Boys have gone too far. Yeah, I agree. But you know, honing on honing in on four hours, and you go, you know yeah. what? Let's invest, yeah. people. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because I saw Oppenheimer in seventy millimeter in that theater not two months ago. Mm-hmm. Very pleasant experience. The air conditioning was working very well. Maybe it all comes Don't down to changed. And shout out Tony. So we saw Killers of the us. Flower Moon. Yeah, Tony. Tony. Tony is, is Tony, one of our good great friends who oldest oldest friend of the pod. Uh, he really he, he helped round out the birthday experience. It was your birthday. Where we go yeah, to movies. Yeah. I'm in town. Tony's got to come too. And yep. the, the trio, the boys, just had a, themselves an evening. I, I tried to get you to do an ad for the pod at the end of the movie because everyone that was in that theater. <laughs> was 100% our demographic. Wanted you to stand up at the end and be like, by the way, guys, and I do mean guys, um, (laughs) we have a movie pod. I will say there was a couple sitting next to me, and the man fell asleep multiple times. And the and and his his girlfriend or whatever, she was like leaned in and locked in the entire movie. She was there for it. It was Did you get sleepy? Yeah. Yeah, of course I got sleepy. Yeah. But that's not a knock on a, the film. It's it, it is not a comment on the film. It was a comment on the swampy hot theater I was in, and it was late. I, I would say um, it's a comment on the nature of three and a half hours. Yeah, and it's you know really doing anything for three um, and a half hours straight. Yeah, it's a lot. I I would be a big you know you and I saw the Hateful Eight on seventy millimeter at Tower Theater. Years ago, remember this? Yeah. Part of his presentation for that was there was a 15-minute intermission. Right. A, sec- a, little, I think, a little second wind. I think Hateful Eight is a shorter movie than yeah. Killers of the Moon. for the theatrics. I know. It was the whole experience. Yeah. And if you had seen it in a regular theater, you didn't get an intermission. I'm just saying, there's nothing wrong with an intermission. It's punishing, but it, I, you can't help but... Especially, you know, the second watch, because I... I don't know if I brought this up, but I did see it twice in you know in a twenty-four hour mm-hmm. period. But um, you can't help but think that that's there's something to that the runtime and just the exhaustion oh, yeah. of things you see happen to these people. Yep. And even the the like sluggish pace sometimes. It's like, oh, it's a it is a, a, a aside from maybe silence. Mm. It is one of the most slowly paced Scorsese movies. Yeah, but you know, it still goes by but, too. But I, I know, but okay. Let's just say this is. I love Marty. Was so happy that we were watching a Scorsese movie, and it feels very distinct from most of his films, except for the fact that it was still extraordinarily well made, mm. and at no point. Did I ever think, oh, the director has really lost the thread here? Right. <laughs> like everything felt so obviously yeah, purposeful it, it and was intentional, never but like so in control. No, I no 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 no. I mean, you know, I think about the pace. The one of the the, the images that strikes me the most is when Molly, mm. um, who is kind of one of the central figures, when her mother 
passes away. Mm. And that sequence is like kind of her having this vision of her going off into the afterlife, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and that is a slow sequence. Yeah. And it, it feels like you, you've almost hit the pause button in the middle of the movie, mm-hmm. except it's like breathtaking. Yeah, and you, you want to go with her. Yes, and then all of a sudden it cuts back to the family mourning around her body, and you're like, oh no, we're still trapped here in this place. With these coyotes. Get these guys away away from me. (laughs) So, you know, know, to say that it's a different kind of Scorsese movie, it's not a, a statement of disappointment or anything like that. It's, you know, again... As an 80-year-old director, it astounds me that the man is still showing off his range and places that I have not seen him go before. It's sharp. It's sharper than The Irishman to me. And I know. I agree. Like, similar length. What's The Irishman? Like, three and I think it's like like four minutes longer, actually. Irishman's just slightly longer. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw The Irishman in theaters. Oh, boy. Um, and a similar experience of it was long, and in a lot of ways, I think that's part of the point. It is uh, a very, very goofy complaint from people of like what, the movie's long. Uh, that you know, I, I mean, I was thinking about this before we walked in. Of like, man, I, this is my first Scorsese in theaters because I missed Wolf of Wall Street and I missed Irishman. Yeah. I just you know Netflix that one, but first am aware of him and appreciate this, mm-hmm. his work and am seeking out his stuff to go see in theaters. And I was like, man, I'm lucky I get to have this, that I got this, especially with this cast and this story and, you know, who he is, what he's given us. Yeah. And for people who are like, dude, wait, uh, three (laughs) hours of like, you know, one of the most important directors of all time Uh, (laughs) cooking. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Uh, Okay, okay, so, so I'll tell you the moment. It, Dude, it was, it was pretty pointless. <laughs> <laughs> I got to watch myself I, here. I have some. Okay, I want to circle back to our, our this because this is our, uh, this is not our first Scorsese. We've done, um, what did we do, Raging Bull? Raging Bull. But, but this is like kind of our first like new Scorsese. We're talking about him. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But um, the movie opens with some sort of ceremony of the Osage mm. tribe. Right, so, it's, so the movie's about the Osage Indian, essentially a, a genocide that took place in the 1920s. Based off the book. Of, based on a, you know, this, this real historical events, based on a book. I actually think that's a really important thing to yes. note. Yes, That this is based on a work of nonfiction journalism, essentially. And, an, and, ex, an exceptional an exceptional David Grand book, Killers of the Flower Moon, that you and I both read. And if you have um, read, I especially recommend seeing it twice because yeah. I had two very different experiences. Having read it and mm-hmm. having some level of expectation yeah. of, you know, I kind of know the beats of the story. I have yeah. what I expect to be just like, you know, the... <clears throat> sure. So so the movie starts with this Osage ceremony that is taking place. And it's a, you know, a little disorienting. Um, but in some ways, it, se- it seems as though they're putting to they're putting to rest some something of the tribe, right? And then the Robbie Robertson score kicks in. Whoa, my God. And the score, the, uh, uh, you're a big uh, movie score guy. You listen to movie scores while you work or what have you. Me less so. I'm not a big score guy, but this one we've been bumping uh, in the car, and I'm like, uh, me too, me it's too, sick. Uh, 
like like when we're just the first half as a family. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. You're listening to like my land, my land. Trying <laughs> it around. Uh, so uh and I would say like I listen to a lot of movie scores, but the but but it's a very limited number of movie scores that like I'm really kinda interested in. It's probably gonna crack uh, my top ten albums of the year, honestly. Oh my gosh. So the Robbie Robertson score kicks in. It's the slow-mo of the Osage, like, discovering oil on their land, essentially. Oh, yeah. And, like, there is, it's like this 15-minute sequence of, like, the history of the Osage with this mix of, I mean, what I'm assuming some of it must have been real footage and then recreated old footage. And and, and it's just, like, it feels like a Scorsese movie. Mm-hmm. Like, we're Blazing. in it. And, oh, my gosh, it is so great. And from that moment on, I was all in. Uh, it, it was just so great to be in the hands of a director who is so so exceptionally good at what he does and also like I said I, I still think he is showing I mean he is showing range we're going to talk about the ending but the ending to me was so astonishing I'd never seen I, I, I the, the ending made me feel things I've never felt watching a movie yeah and it was really hard for me and this is this is maybe part of the challenge of the movie for me is it's really hard for me to separate the work from the director mm. and, 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 and just that it is a Scorsese movie. I feel like there's an added weight to it. So I'm trying, yeah. I want to, I want to be, I want to be careful about how I think of it and not, you know, just hold it up as this great thing just because it's him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's great that we have it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like you said, the intro, it's like, this is Marty. And then he very quickly abandons that uh, yeah. kind of rhythm. Like if like Wolf of Wall Street feels like like that intro is like the entire movie of Wolf of Wall Street, where yeah, we are for three blazing. Hours. We are yeah. coked out with him. Yeah. A- and, uh, and then this one is like, okay, now that you know it's me, yeah, let's go down this alley over here. That is a lot less fun. Yeah, and it's it's mostly just unpleasant. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, not less fun. Like the movie is not enjoyable. It's hard, you know, I, there's a lot of criticism about the movie about it being just, like, unrelenting and it's just kind of dourness and, and, and it's, you know, wickedness, right? And I'm like, yeah, but everybody watched six seasons of Breaking Bad. Well, this is part of my fascination. <laughs> and, I, like, like we, we can hone in on, on my biggest takeaway from the movie overall early on yeah. here in the pod because my yeah. biggest thing I can't let go of when thinking about the movie and I keep thinking about it is even what you were just saying of like you know a com- maybe there's a complaint of like the the pace and it's like a maybe a little tedious you know just wickedness on wickedness and but in that it's even kind of boring you know yeah like in parts and it, because of it it's runtime and yeah and it does honestly feel boring sometimes and then you you get to the end of the movie and you say okay so what i really witnessed are, are just a series of events that can only be described as the worst things you could do to people, a yeah. group of people. And I, yeah. I'm, I, you know, I'm like, this is boring. And <laughs> one, one, there's a like, yeah, maybe a sense of boredom. But, but to me, the scariest part of the movie, obviously, is Robert mm-hmm. De Niro. But in his performance, I was like, I'm never uh, shocked by him, and I'm yeah. never like, oh, like it's never the that shining or. Um, it's never that Silence of the Lambs moment where you're like, he's yeah. been doing what? Like, it's so disgustingly yeah. evil, you know? But, like, if you want to compare the two, our villain in Killers has done a lot worse just by the body count number than something yeah. like Silence of the Lambs. 
And it just yeah. struck me how subtle and quiet mm-hmm. the evil is in this movie yeah. and how quickly earnest our main character and therefore us, you know, we get his perspective for a lot of the movie. So it's easier to relate to him. Like how easy it is to just like hang out with that evil. Yeah. Maybe partner with it in subtle and not subtle ways and really not push back on it a lot. And yeah, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of stuff going on in the world at the time we're recording this October, 2023. But, um, and even in small ways, I'm like, Oh gosh. Yeah, look at me buying this milk duds that's probably manufactured in ways that are hurting a lot of people the way they get this. You know, I know that's a dumb, like, little thing, but, like, to me, a lot of the movie is about. Um, so this is, I think, real evil being quiet and subtle, yeah, and more more powerful because of it. And this, to me, is the maybe one of the best choices he makes in the adaptation and i know that it was it is but it, it, it's really been mythologized in the behind the scenes and this has been a long production mm-hmm. it was you know they started in 2019 essentially right after the irishman came out and then covid delayed it and, and all of this and you know the story that scorsese and leo have told is that originally this was going to really center its narrative on the um, Jesse Plemons character, mm-hmm. um, who is the kind of the FBI investigator, and which the book definitely really, has a larger chunk dedicated to him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not the whole thing, and but a larger. Chunk. Be about that. Be about that part of the narrative, right? The FBI coming in and and and, and unraveling this mystery because because that's when I, when you read the book, it is a compelling mystery about what was happening to these people. Yeah, it's a thriller and. Yeah. yeah, and it's a—I mean, it's a super fast read too. Yeah. I mean, it just for for a nonfiction, you know. I mean, David Grant's a great writer; his prose really helps. But he has found a really great mystery here, mm-hmm. and you know, so and Leo was going to play that character, and he said, "I think there's something else here." And then, so they basically reworked the script, focused it all on the Ernest and Molly relationship. Leo changed his role. To, to play Ernest, and and that's the movie we have now. But 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 the, the what the implications of that decision are is that it's no longer a mystery, right? Mm. This is this is not a mystery, and we're trying to figure out who is doing this. It's clear from the first scene between Leo and his Ernest and his uncle, the Robert De Niro character, that this guy is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the first uh, you know thing I noticed in having read the book and like kind of taking my expectations off the shelves. Because yeah, the first viewing, I'm like, dude, you you told who it was. Yeah. What are we doing? Like, how are you gonna yeah. have this tension throughout the movie? But when he's able to like, I'm gonna answer that question immediately because I'm interested in asking a lot more questions. And and then and to your point earlier, because this is I want to talk about the ending here. I think this is a good time to talk about it. There's kind of the final scene of the movie proper. Mm-hmm. It's between Molly and Ernest, Leo and and Lily Gladstone, who is just exceptional. Um, throughout the film and 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 basically Ernest has flipped against his uncle he's kind of testified against you know these other co-conspirators mm-hmm. and he is having this conversation with Molly and it is almost like look I did the right thing right mm-hmm. and and again like we've really adopted the perspective of this character who is right. evil right and part of you I think is like rooting for him to do the right thing and turn against his family and his and the co-conspirators right mm-hmm. 
and and so like we can feel absolved uh, of our sins yeah we, yeah we can feel an absolution yeah in that he's done this and this final scene between him and molly is like kind of him saying this and and she was in the courtroom she heard his whole testimony she knows how deeply he was involved in the murder of her sisters mm-hmm. and she asks him what he was putting in the insulin that he was administering to him mm-hmm. and she makes him admit there just the two of them that he was poisoning her i mean he doesn't admit it uh, i know yeah. i know but <clears throat> it's a beautiful thing when he's like it's insulin and she's like and that's why i'm walking out you know yeah yeah uh, yeah okay so, so sorry that's a good point she 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 wants him to admit this and he yeah. can't bring himself to do it yeah and and it's like this oh there is no absolution mm-hmm. because such is the depth of his guilt and then to your point earlier about how kind of dull and boring the evil can be mm-hmm. right because the 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 murders are are often kind of presented so matter-of-factly right um yes. you know there's that montage early in the film where it's just an image of an osage mm-hmm. their name and narration and a dead body from lily right this yeah. i mean it, yeah from lily. i mean it's just like that like that and and so so, so to your point about the dullness of, of the evil right then mm-hmm. So that's that's the end of the movie, and it cuts to this very strange, like radio, broadcast. theatrical broadcast yeah. uh, uh, retelling, which apparently was based on a real thing. The yeah. FBI wanted to to, to kind of have out there as a way to publicize themselves. Like we solved the crime, see? Yes, and 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 what I love about that sequence is that now everything is turned up to 10 with the crazy special sound effects and the the noises and the over the top voice acting. Presented right? by now, Lucky Strike cigarettes. Yeah. And and now it's like the dramatization, the exciting dramatization of the FBI tracking down the 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 mm-hmm. Um, mystery of the Osage murders, right? And so now he he, you know, kind of recognizes the way that we dramatize for entertainment and excitement evil in this world, and then he undercuts that at the very very end mm-hmm. by kind of took me so off guard right. as soon as I knew what was happening. Yeah, like you you hear the narrator kind of it, it, basically it's it it's it's beautiful. It serves as a coda of the film instead of just text on the screen mm-hmm. saying this is what happened to so and so, this is what happened to so and so. It's this is how they do the coda, and now they're finally getting to the Molly coda. What happened to her? She died when she was fifty, and she remarried, and it's it's just kind of the sadness there. Mm-hmm. And there is a figure on the stage who is going to read her obituary, and then all of a sudden I realized it's. It's Scorsese himself, mm-hmm. whose whose voice has been in the film throughout. Yeah, he, he plays a, a few different voices. Voice pops. Yeah, and now all of a sudden it's the director himself, essentially playing himself. Re and he reads Molly's obituary, and then he looks at the camera and adds the line, and there was no mention of the murders. And like that, I I mean I could talk about that for hours. Right. And the the meaning of that moment and the depth of it. Right, but to the point that we're kind of talking about right now, he even undercuts the the weird dramatization of this radio show mm-hmm. by then just breaking the fourth wall and being the director and saying, "This is this is what this was about. It was about this person mm-hmm. and how we how we can like you know to add that line. There was no mention of the murders. How we can just ignore these things." Yeah. On on second watch too, I feel like uh, but De Niro's character has this little speech in the jail cell, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
this is like a major thesis here. Yeah. As often is presented with the like third act speeches, but yeah, him being like, listen, people are going to forget about this tomorrow. Like evil, bad things happen every day and we forget about them. People move on and I'm still going to be friends with this, with this tribe. Like they won't remember, you know, he's like, Ernest, like you're wrong. They're, it's like, golly, if that's not existing, with Twitter in 2023. Totally. I'm like, oh yeah, did that? Oh yeah, that horrible thing did happen like last weekend. Oh, another shooting. Oh, another war breaking out. It's like, oh, ah, yeah. people, people forget. And because people this forget, is the, the evil, it, 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 we can forget it. And it's yeah. justified to us, you know, because yeah. it's just normal. It's normal and it's every day. So relax. Evil <laughs> has become so mundane. Yeah, that's and, the scariest part of the movie to me. Yeah, because because there's and, so many times when, again, he's like playing this like su- like this sweet old man, this old white man who's become friends with the tribe, and they really trust him a lot. And he gives money, and he's volunteering in all these ways to just be the guy that's available to help. And it's like, oh, this is the guy that's killing all of you. Yeah, and but there's still there. I never have this like, oh my gosh, he's so terrifying. Maybe once oh, at, yeah. at a dinner table when you know a new baby is announced, but um, oh my gosh, that's yeah. a horrifying sequence. But man, if it, if he doesn't make me feel like what he's doing is like not a big deal, yeah. And I'm like, how am I feeling that way watching this? Yeah, it's 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 both this. I think he so effectively gets across this this balance of both the mundane aspect of evil and the casualness of it mm-hmm. right I'm, i mean when you see the in the one of the opening yeah. as you were saying the osage names deathbed yes. shots of the yeah. mom putting her kid in a stroller yeah. and then a gun just yeah. sticking out of a window like it's like like it's a charlie chaplin film like oh boy <laughs> and it is cartoony but it's just yeah it's also just so brutal yeah because it's yeah. silly and yeah so I mean, and to me this is like right the choice he makes, he, the tr- the choices he's making in the adaptation. This is the thesis of the movie, mm-hmm. right? This is, th- this is not what the book is about, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And I don't know if you want to talk about some of the other broader criticisms of the movie about you know centering it on the Ernest well, character uh, and. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I I don't I don't know the breadth of the controversy or you know people's problems with it, but. I think it's just genius for him to make Ernest yeah. the our our protagonist. He's like, this is you guys, man. Like, you're gonna yeah. relate to this yeah. guy. Like, I can't yeah. make the movie to tell this tribe story. It wouldn't be right for me to make that movie. Yeah. Me, me being me, Martin Scorsese. You know. Yeah. But I'm gonna have you relate to this monster because totally. That's this. What, this movie is the, is made for like. Guys who love Goodfellas, right? Who revel in the violence, <laughs> and that his and that to me and well, and I'll say too. I mean, the, the David Grand book also is like it's like a book written by a white guy. Yeah, like right, like right, and who's a journalist and 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 is and is it right that he is telling these stories? Right, these are the. I mean, I I understand the conversation. I want it to be more of a conversation than like anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over a. a and we can be angry about art, but I, I don't know it, 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 because it's obviously a choice. He he is, and 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 Scorsese worked tr- tr- like tremendously closely with the Osage tribe. 
Yeah. And with a lot of Osage people on this film. So I Well, I mean, it it is so critical's not a strong enough word, but this this movie is not on the side of anybody but the Osage. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. This is what's so interesting to me because the the you know, of all the breadth of his his movies of you know, over the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. The movie that I was thinking about the most while I was watching this, and that, like for obvious reasons, but do you know what it was? You just tell me, because I, I I remember in theater having one movie I was going back to with him, but Wolf of Wall Street, over yeah, yeah. and over and over again. Yeah, I mean it's Leo. I, it's easy with Leo and the like. I love money. You it's know? the I love money. Yeah. It, but it's not just that. I think it goes deeper, and this is I'm utterly fascinated by the last like four, but really five movies that this guy has made. He's on a run. Well, but I'm gonna start with 2011. He made Hugo, which mm. is a it's a PG kids movie. Right. It's my my son says it's his favorite movie. Okay. Right. It it is his it's I mean it's his only children's movie. <laughs> right. It's a love letter to movies, to cinema, cinema history, but it's a little about a little boy. Right. In Paris. Right. He immediately follows that up with The Wolf of Wall Street, which right. maybe is his absolutely most depraved debaucherous movie right that he's ever made right like his his most r-rated movie the most memed okay. movie of all time and he goes from the wolf of wall street again ironically with total... stock bros like like <laughs> who just vibe with that wavelength and don't yeah. find problems with it no 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 he goes from from the total debauchery of wolf of wall street to the absolute austerity of silence mm-hmm. just that it, talk about a slog of a movie right. again in a good way i think silence is a masterpiece yeah to then again i mean his last movie the irishman mm-hmm. and then killers of the flower moon right the the the, the 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 last four wolf of wall street silence irishman killers these to me really go together mm-hmm. as like this last suite of movies that he's doing mm-hmm. I'm, I'm totally fascinated by the choices hugo I added in there because i think i love the juxtaposition right the um, child innocence yeah. <clears throat> you know hope but but I was thinking so much about Jordan Belfort as the, the, the main character of Wolf of Wall Street, who is oh, yeah. such a despicable, evil person. Right. And Marty, like, uh, thinks that. He thinks he is yeah. evil. It, there is almost nothing redeeming about him. Right. And it, it's so interesting to me to look at these two characters, right? Because I, I think they're both really uh, earnest and um, Jordan Belfort and mm-hmm. Wolf, right? They're, like, throughout their movies, like, you, uh, in very different ways, they're both, like, wicked evil people mm-hmm. and by the end of the movie you are supposed to think they are still evil mm-hmm. I, I mean i think that's what it is right i mean at the end and, and wolf is is different because it ends with jordan belfort like doing his like sell me this pen. seminars yeah, yeah sell me this pen and it's like oh he's still selling his same old bs right 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 and and he hasn't grown and he hasn't changed and he's got an and, audience and but it's just like kind of like depressing convention center in New Zealand right, right. It, it's so great or Australia or wherever he is right but they're still um, just like us in the theater like yes 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 it's, it becomes an indictment on us yeah of someone posted that clip still on Twitter following and, this character and I had forgotten that it pans to the crowd and they're all just like mouth open like yeah. it's a crowd shot but it looks like a theater I'm like. Dang yeah. it. That's me. Yeah. There, there yeah. right there. <laughs> I bought the ticket to the dumb conference. <laughs> uh, and then this movie ends with 
Ernest basically trying to will himself into absolution mm-hmm. and 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 not able to find it he has not grown he has not you know moved beyond his sins and and i heard this phrase somewhere but if the central question of the last 10 years of scorsese movies has been is it possible to find forgiveness and redemption out of guilt right which was it's been a central question all along that's raging bull that's taxi driver yeah you know it's just so interesting to for, to me to look at these three there's four movies and say in some ways he says actually I don't know if that's possible for some of these characters yeah and, and the Irishman's another example and the final shot is old Robert De Niro who is afraid of the priest closing the door of his room yeah because life has become lonely because his life was full of evil <laughs> silence is like yeah there is but only through death <laughs> <laughs> silence is is yes except. Except, yeah, because you, 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 you know, the, the, the priest, the Andrew Garfield priest has apostatized, has, has rejected right. Christ, except only in death, in his death as his body is burned, do we find out that he, like, held onto a tiny crucifix and, like, had some shred of hope that he could never, ever, ever let anyone see. What a, a, <laughs> a tr- truly, I mean, depressing is not the right word. Right. Because I don't think he aims to be depressing, but fascinating i mean these are fascinating endings each of these three films yeah um, and then of course he ends this one about molly this one's about molly yeah he moves away from the evil long enough to i mean it's still the the, the atrocities that were inflicted upon her and her people but i got really emotional in that i i, I was surprised mm-hmm. i mean marty was like has tears in his eyes when he's reading the obituary yeah um, yeah it's deafening in a theater it's such a oh my gosh it's unsuspecting or it was to me at least. Yeah. Because, yeah, the whole title card thing at the end. It's funny. The the night after we watched an IMAX, we watched The Burial, or I did with my in-laws, mm-hmm. which is just like a courtroom drama, fun, perfectly pleasant Jamie Foxx, Tommy Lee Jones, new movie on Amazon. Uh, but they totally did the title card and then, like, photo of the real guys, you know, at the end. I'm like, yeah, I think Marty's approach was a little bit more effective. The, the, I mean, you know, obviously totally two different movies, but... It's just funny how, until that was pointed out to me, I didn't realize how common that was for oh, these, yeah. these types of movies. And he totally could have gone that way and just, like, pulled all the pictures from the book and, like, showed, like, look how much we made Ernest look like Leo. Or Leo yeah. look like Ernest, you know. But, yeah, especially coming but, after the De Niro speech about everyone's going to forget this and then be like, yeah, yeah, the murders weren't mentioned. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, what movie also does not do the text on the screen codas for all the characters wolf wall street it's wolf of wall street yeah. yeah it's it's jordan selling the pen and then it cuts to black and i love that choice you know why because he does not care what happens to these evil people right yeah there's a level of... and he doesn't want you to see anymore yeah he's like go check him out on youtube he's still around <laughs> And and the the greatest conflict that I feel as I watch that scene is that Leo, the Jordan Belfort character, is introduced in that scene by the real Jordan Belfort playing, like the MC at this conference. Oh boy! Right. So, so Scorsese lets him into the movie, but it's like, oh man, that's weird. Um, but I I do think it's it's and this is like, it's it's Wolf of Wall Street's a tough movie to watch, but I do think if you walk away from that thinking. These guys are get cool. hyped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you've really misunderstood the point of the movie. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's funny the way he, uh, I don't know, it probably is in a lot more of his films that I just haven't noticed, but how he kind of more blatantly presents his ideas, like sandwiching the film with, well, I do love money. I'm greedy. Uh, yeah. And it's like, be, yeah, because of that sentiment in, in humans, the, the, the rot, the, the evil that is wrought upon us is endless, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. ending it with like, yeah, but no, who cares? Basically. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Get yours. Yeah. Who cares? And golly, like, especially I'm not going to point to any specific politicians in the past 10 years, but when you see Robert De Niro's character orchestrate mm. the demise of a character or, you know, actively this character is being poisoned right now and he is making that happen. And then he goes to her and prays over her or comforts oh. her in this in this hard times. Oh, my gosh. And you just go, I've seen that before. <laughs> I When I flip on the news and see a politician talk about anything ever yeah. and act as if, like, I've got empathy. I am trying. I see yeah. I see the plight of the everyman, and I am there, like, doing what I can to help out. Yeah. And it's like, golly, what are you doing when you're not in front of that television prompter? Because yeah. <laughs> when I look at what's happening in the world and in the country – I, I don't think you're the same person who's praying for the for the for the lowly in the street, shouting yeah. out two Corinthians. There was a I won't name the politician either, but there was a politician who visited Paradise in the days after the fire, mm-hmm. um, and kept referring to it as pleasure. Yeah, that's a little Freudian slip. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, but it was like very well, and, recognizable. And you know yeah oh yeah and every time one of the osage would die the mm-hmm. robert de niro character would say oh they've gone on to be with the lord and right. and it was like i found myself wondering does he believe that right right or is that how he is justifying this well also like there's two different religions present I, in this kind yeah. of, and he's just like no no, no mine mine uh, i'm not even yeah. you know keeping a radar for what you might believe but mine yeah yeah <laughs> Michael but he, I mean, it's like, it's like what he says about, oh, these these Osage women don't really live past fifty, so we're just helping them along. Right. I, I mean, that's chilling, but then to say then, oh, she's gone on to be with the Lord, afterwards, and 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 the Osage were a lot of them were Catholic, right? Um, um, Molly was yeah. was a Catholic, yeah. Um, so they, sh- How'd they that share of a <laughs> faith. They they shared a faith, but yeah. but to say oh we're just helping them along is oh she's gone on to be the Lord. It's like it's all justification. It's all right. Right. An, a, a numbing of for, for like an earnest right. Earnest is a seems kind of dim in the movie right. right. He's a kind of a doltish right. character. Um, what a name for that character. <laughs> I know I know. What a real guy. Right. That's the thing. <laughs> uh, which. Hey, you know that might be a good time to switch to switch gears over to speaking of Molly's religion. Speaking of Molly, speaking of Lily Gladstone. Good, oh. good lord! Like I, I was just blown away by. I mean, the trailer alone when she says "my color," you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. What is yeah. happening? But I genuinely, I'm like, Leah was bested, like ki- yeah. kind of in every scene. Like, I, I can't yeah. really remember a scene where I'm like, okay, this is his right now. It's like she owns him. And yeah. I've, I mean, 
I don't think I've ever seen that before. Like she's n- so good. Not not even like a woman, but like another actor, and it's like okay, clearly Leo's not you know the one who's who's this is this is Leo's movie, you know. This, uh, you know, I just want to say this is how this is how good the acting is in this movie. This is to me like my favorite Leo performance in years. Mm-hmm. And he's still the third best in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I do think he's the third best. I, I totally agree. Yeah, but, but it's Robert De Niro and then Lily Gladstone. Yeah, there's almost some moments where he. I, I mean, Lily Gladstone, I think, is the, the the best. Well, I don't know. De Niro's just incredible too. Well, De Niro's invisible. <laughs> I've, yeah. Ugh, it's extraordinary. <laughs> but yeah, Leo almost felt miscast in in some parts. But um, which kind of makes sense if he, they were kind of looking at him as the FBI guy. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just so like mesmerized by. But you, you, the did Molly you watch that clip I sent you about Leo? Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's, I, I mean, uh, there's he, he's still obviously Leo, and he does some amazing stuff. You sent me a clip where his face and God, he wears this frown the entire movie because he's got these prosthetic teeth in, and he's mm-hmm. just like, but. He, this frown that you sent me was a different type of frown, <laughs> and, yeah. and and like I I we mentioned this in person, but that last shot of him after Molly walks away from him, it, it does to me strike this come and see moment where yeah. where you know famously come and see Russian anti war movie from like the eighties, but it's the most brutal movie I've ever seen. But famously, the kid who plays the main character. I mean, they do a lot of makeup on him, so like yeah. from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, he looks very different. But also, the the actor was like so stressed out, his hair was changing colors, and and not because the director was like, you know, especially abusive, but just like the the type of movie they were making, the things that they were showing and depicting. Yeah, and, and as a viewer, it's so harsh. But it reminded me of that of like Leo's face is like ten years older than when we first yeah. see him in the movie. And it's like, man, even though he's the one that's just like, I'm going to do this thing or I'm going to, you know, partner up in these atrocities. It's like it's still just wreaking havoc on him, you know. Yeah. And that's the yeah. that's the other thing with this movie. He loves Molly. Yeah. Well, like, I think the question of the movie is, does he? Right. Well, yeah. And yeah. It, can you? He thinks he does. But yeah. how can you love someone that you are slowly murdering yeah yeah and you've murdered her sisters yeah that, i mean that that's like i don't know feels like an untenable position for a guy but right. uh, <laughs> turns out your face uh, changes after you see just an onslaught of people yeah so it goes <laughs> yeah i i say it's a testament to the movie that i know you watched it two days in a row i was ready to watch it again within 24 hours yeah i'm just yeah to me it really hums on the second because again I had my expectations in the book and then I could put that away for the second viewing and yeah. I know what he does and now I get to like take it a lot more yeah and I don't know I, it, it just it feels to me like something very special yeah it feels heavy yeah it, it's it's almost like in the way that silence felt different than a yeah. your you know usual Scorsese except except this is I mean silence is like loosely based on like right accounts of you know and, and and based on like actual things that you know actual practices of the japanese government mm-hmm. centuries ago right but but it, it wasn't based on any real people sure you know where this is a real story 
that happened in this country 100 years 100 ago. Years ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so many times you're watching it, and like, I had to remind myself of that. Of like, no, no, this happened. Yeah. 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 And there are people that are alive today. Yeah. They're 100 years old, but who were alive when this was happening. Yeah. Or like their parents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's crazy. Yeah. I don't know why this um, depiction of and kind of summation of kind of America's original sin is just hitting heavier lately <laughs> it's interesting it's like i was thinking a lot about blood meridian mm. um well, a, a book we have mentioned a number of times on this podcast yeah and like you know blood meridian is often referred to as like an unfilmable novel yeah right how do you depict this how do you depict the evil of the judge mm-hmm. you know yeah and I'm almost like, oh, did Scorsese just make Blood Meridian? I mean, it's not right, the plot right. of it, right? It, yeah. It's not the same plot at all. But he, it, se- it seems to me that he really figured out a way to, like, like the William Hale character is evil. He's the devil. Right? That's, he's the devil, yeah. like the judge. I mean, not not a t- totally different character, obviously, but he's evil. Yeah. And the cat and the casualness with which he kills people, yeah, um, or has them killed, is is just. To me, that's what Blood Meridian was. And Blood Meridian being about the American West as a place that was essentially forged with violence mm-hmm. and and specifically violence against mostly indigenous people. Um, yeah. And at that, that time, the expansion into Mexico, right? You know, but... I just... I feel so much more prompted with questions from, from this than... I mean, really most movies but but even some of his other important works this one i'm just asking a lot more questions you know like oh how do you reconcile some of this stuff again i keep going back to that speech at the end it's like man a a place that was like you said forged in violence like that's what created the thing it's like can you ever escape that or is that your just dna in one way or another forever you know because, again, like, yeah. we were just talking about, like, the stuff that's happening in the world right now and, like, the timing of this movie coming out with seeing those atrocities and being able to yeah. just... Like, we were talking how, you know, we'll see some just brutal mm-hmm. stuff from what's going on uh, with Israel and Palestine right now, and you'll see an image on Twitter because Twitter's just like, we'll show you anything. And it's not even, like, people I follow. It's just like, oh, we thought you would want to see this today. And then yeah. my, I'll scroll, and the next thing I see is a Sacramento Kings highlight from preseason. and like a <laughs> crowd. preseason, no less. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, they're getting hyped because, you know, whatever. Just that scrolling moment, the fact that I went from oh. this. Well, like, we talked about this because I had the exact same experience on Twitter. With, it yeah. was an Israel-Palestine post, and then it was Kings preseason yeah. hype stuff. Yeah. Or like, you know, fill in whatever dumb thing you follow on Twitter with here. Of yeah. like you scroll to the next thing and it's like well and then for me it would be like the next thing would be like big brother live feed updates yeah me would be a kevin james meme <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've seen plenty of those too but i it, had this thought about the uh, uh, of like oh we're still playing basketball like we're still doing this right right <laughs> but but like it teaches your and brain I, to give the same amount of consideration like, mm-hmm. oh, you can just scroll past, so, like, now watch this highlight. And it's like, yeah. I, I don't think we should be doing this to our brains. It's really, like, it's really teaching me to do the William Hale thing and be like, people forget about this tomorrow. It's all good. 
Uh, we can do yeah, that. I know. It doesn't matter. Look, a king's highlight. Like, what, what? I mean, what can you do? So, I don't know. Yeah, this movie is just, he's holding up a mirror, and I don't like what I see. <laughs> it's hard to, it's a lot to digest. I feel like I need to see it again. Yeah. Most compelling sequence to me, most fever dream sequence, mm-hmm. is when William Hale sets his own farm on fire. For the insurance money. It's like a Michael Scott. It is like a Miles Scott moment. <laughs> Mostly because he is feeling vindictive about not getting insurance money that he was trying to get earlier in the movie. Right. You know, it's this incredible set piece. And everything on the farm, the way it's all filmed outside, is just so beautiful. It reminded me of Days of Heaven. Yeah, I thought of that too. Uh, I mean, I think totally evoking Days of Heaven with the white you know, farmhouse out mm-hmm. in the middle of this field. It's so beautiful. It's so haunting the way you know William Hale is in the midst of the flames, right? He's you know, the devil himself. He's the devil. Yeah, Burn! <laughs> Just cut to him doing his uh, bird impression. <laughs> and then inside the house, right there on the farm, is is Molly and Ernest, and the windows are done in such a way that it's not. It, it's almost like this kind of. Uh, you know, treated glass, it's right? Like, where you can't really see through it. It's like what churches describe that. It's like what churches might have done in the eighties for the Satanic Panic, of like, let's take them through a bus ride, <laughs> through the <laughs> circles of hell to show them not to have sex. It's like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, it's, like a hell house. Yeah, right? it's yeah. like a hell house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the windows are done with this like creepy kind of. It, you know, foggy orange, glass, flamey, yeah. right? And, and it's all dark, and it just you can feel the heat in this room as, as Molly is being poisoned, right? And, and is that the sequence where Leo takes some? Yeah, of he's the like, I'm gonna try himself. some, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna try some of the poison. So he's like, just in this totally feverish space. I'm just like, what is happening? Was William it, it, in the room with them? Because <laughs> it cuts to him at some point. And it, I, can't, I, I can't remember if he's like I in the, the house too. The sequence is so disorienting. He's just like because it because at some point it feels like he's definitely outside with the flames. Yeah, but then he inside. Moves inside. It's so disorienting. And again, it's to me, it's just like incredible, mm-hmm. incredible use of the you know of this kind of set piece to add into the fevered state. Yeah, uh, uh, of these people, or especially Molly. Who is yeah, especially poisoned, Molly? Who's being poisoned, and all her family is dying around her. Just and like, what is happening? And everything is on fire around her. Yeah, I mean, literally and metaphorically. Yeah, there's a moment where De Niro looks so tiny, and he's at the top of some stairs, and he's like, "Don't kill yourself, because if you kill yourself before the end of the year, I don't get the money." <laughs> yes. Golly. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just evil, evil. I don't know. Yeah, it's. It's weird seeing it twice when, I mean, he's obviously all over the place, but only, like, most of the time it's his scenes that are sticking out in my brain. Like, God, this guy. There's a, um, what do you think of the ending shot? Of the, the kind of contemporary tribal mm-hmm. ceremony? Hmm. I was thinking about, I don't, I don't know if it's on purpose at all, but I was like, oh, this is an interesting, like, top-down zoom sort of thing. Slow, just pan out. But I was like, thinking about the rest of the movie, like, I don't feel like he does the top-down thing a lot. I'm like, oh, I think the only other times he does it is like showing Osage on their deathbed. Yeah. Or oh, other, yeah, that's there, interesting. there's a couple times where Molly like puts her head back and she's like, yeah. you know, you feel like she's on the cusp of dying. Yeah. And then it's a top-down. 
but it's always Osage, like, yeah, kind of just at their most vulnerable. And mm. I'm like, this this is probably me reading into things because I'm sure there's other top-down shots I'm not thinking of that aren't that, but it felt like a – it felt similar to the mother's passing where it's like this doesn't feel real, you know? Yeah. This is almost yeah. like heaven or, like, maybe even people that have passed just, just from his previous association with death in that shot. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm like, God, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I, I, again, I think I just liked the way it's, it's both the ending with him reading her obituary. Yeah, cut to that. And then cut to that. And I just think, I think he's created a movie that is centered on the evil people. Mm -hmm. And then in the last moments, he shifts just completely away from them. Yeah. Or even like sandwiching the movie, like the opening shot is this like ritual yeah. that's like beautiful yeah. and calm. Okay, I want to talk about, before we get to segments, I want to talk about one other thing. Uh, it, less about like the Oscar issue here mm-hmm. and more about like, I've just been thinking a lot about Oppenheimer. Right. Like these <laughs> these w- movies w- are... Which, yeah, these two movies that are going to go up against each other essentially, I think. I mean, I I, I don't know. I, Oppenheimer I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. I know I liked a lot more than you did. Yeah. Um, this is a lot better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> to me. That's me. All right? It's funny. Some, some I feel like I've seen from some of the people that absolutely did not vibe with Killers. They loved Oppenheimer. Yeah. You know? Now, do you think it... Oppenheimer is an easy. It's easier. It's easier, morally. but I feel like they're like in a in conversation kind of. They're in conversation, but this is what I think the distinction is: is Oppenheimer ends with that great moment where mm-hmm. Robert Oppenheimer feels as though yes, we have started the chain reaction that's going to destroy the world, and it's just kind of very nihilistic, yeah, existential. He's like, whoops, you know, whoops, despair. Whoops, <laughs> whoops, <laughs> big whoops on my part, guys. But for like the last third of that movie. But really, the second two thirds, Oppenheimer is always weary of the usage of the bomb, and so he gets to he gets to be morally right, mm. while also delivering us the cool moment at the Trinity test. Whereas what Marty does is he says these these people are terrible, and you need to sit with this for three hours. Yeah, <laughs> and you you we never get to experience the benefit of them being on the right side of this being cool <laughs> being oh. rich yeah yeah like nolan admires oppenheimer yes yeah and is interested and and this isn't you know this is not a comment about the historical figures it's sure it's the filmmaking choices right right but there, there's you know like he was this genius and what he made is might be the end yeah so I, I saw a tweet that I thought was both funny and just incredibly sharp, which is Killers of the Flower Moon is a three, out, three and a half hour version of that scene in Oppenheimer where they list the Japanese cities they are thinking about bombing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, like that scene sticks out to me in that movie because it's so cold and casual. Right. 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 And it's about and, 30 seconds of the movie. And it's 30 seconds of the movie. Yeah. And it and it totally yeah, Scorsese's like, don't you realize the nature of man that is this? It's not a little thing. That it's the whole thing. In Oppenheimer, it's the guy who says, "Oh, we can't, we can't bomb Kyoto because my wife and I honeymoon there." <laughs> <laughs> and and in, in Killers of the Flower Moon, in Killers of the Flower Moon, it's Ernest killing all of his wife's sisters except for his wife because i actually love her 
Yeah. Like, but also, I'm going to poison her a little bit. And Oppenheimer almost poisoned his teacher. Oh, boy. Oppenheimer's got some, like, uh moments. And then Killers <laughs> is like, uh for three hours. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think... Did you find Killers of the Flower Moon entertaining? Of course. Of course. <laughs> I just, I'm feeling the tension of that, of like, it's an entertaining piece of art. And it's so hard. Well, I mean, what else are we gonna do? No, no. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think, I think what I'm getting at is what I pre, what struck me about it, what I find about it that I think is so rare elsewhere. Mm, yes, is that it's exceedingly entertaining because it's really well made. Yeah, the guy knows when to put Brendan Fraser in a movie doing a weirdo <laughs> accent. <laughs> I'm falling asleep. My client! <laughs> what? <laughs> he I tortured you. <laughs> I loved it. I, no, okay. no, he didn't. He didn't. Yes, he did. <laughs> he beat you. I loved it. Your uncle's nice. <laughs> uh, super entertaining. And it just has so much to say. Man, we've yeah. only scratched the surface, yeah. right? And I, and I, as I think about a lot of other pieces of popular culture over the last 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. you know, maybe like The Wire is a probably good like analogy of like, Perfect. that was pretty, pretty tough to get through. Slow in parts. It's also one of the funniest shows I've ever watched. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and most rewarding shows too. The most rewarding, the most entertaining episode after episode. Yeah. But like the and but most so people hard. would consider it very slow and challenging and and like depressing yeah because of because of the messages and and what it's saying right where where I and you and I have always kind of I think felt this of like I've always felt a little arm's length with like a thing like Breaking Bad yeah I don't I don't know it was always dark but I never knew what it was really getting at uh, but but I think even just thematically it's it's like Walt's evil right. But the show wants us to think Walter White is evil, mm-hmm. I think, and, and really crosses that kind of you know Rubicon of of total wickedness when he when he kills Jesse's girlfriend, right? You're goddamn right. <laughs> okay. okay, but like he's still like the main character, and we're supposed to root for him. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like we're I, following I, William Hale around. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because it's like, well, okay, that was the season finale, and you all will kind of forget about this by the next season, and like we can get right back to kid. just like he tried to poison the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, he's like uh, an antihero. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. These are the things I'm thinking about, but um, I was, I was. Like, so entertained. I think Marty says, let me show you a good man. And he said, really? It's like that Flannery O'Connor short story, right? A good man is hard to find. <laughs> he He's like, there's and, no good men. I know. <laughs> and and, and O'Connor is so great, you know, because her stories are about, like, pretty wicked people. Right. And, and, and there's, like, a lot of deep unpleasantness in them. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's kind of her thesis, right? Like... Well, it seems to be proven accurate. The more you live, <laughs> I think that's what Marty's getting at. And I think that's I think that's the Scorsese project is sin and guilt are real and they plague us. And he seems interested in the idea of redemption. I think it's possible in his worldview. I think it's rare in his worldview. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a as good a time as any for us to hop over to segments. our segments and 
What y'all drinking? Um, I had a glass of water. I'm sticking with Magic Mind. Oh, look at you. It has just been helping me out with the haziness, the fog. You know, we, we record these late. We stick to our yes. title. We're true to our title. And the families are in bed. And ever since I got COVID, I cannot stay up. But Magic Mind is helping me out with that. It is an actual energy drink with mushrooms, ashwagandha, matcha, a ton of awesome nootropic ingredients that are natural and aren't any of that five-hour energy, fake chemical, processed, none of that. Only good stuff. You can have it with your coffee in the morning or not. I've been having the afternoon to battle the afternoon moles, and I love it. And thankfully, they, uh, they love us because they've offered to give our listeners a discount. And so if you guys go to magicmind.co backslash movie sleep uh, and enter the code movie sleep 20, you can get 56% off a subscription order Ooh. for the first 10 days after you hear this. And then yep. after that, you can use the same code movie sleep 20. And I think it'll be like 20% off just all time. So oh, um, I recommend it. You, you've had it and you, uh, yep, you enjoy it. it. It's great. And yeah, it's helping us. It's helping Thank us. Thank you, Magic Mind. Thank you, Magic Mind, for helping us sleepyheads get through this pod, this late night pod. So again, go to their website, magicmind.co back forward slash movie sleep. Use the code movie sleep 20 for 56% off a subscription. So that's what I'm drinking. And we just got some segments to jump into. Yeah, hey, where do you want to start? Favorite shot? You got one? It's hard to say. Um, I'd want to watch it again, you know? Yeah. But again, what really has been coming to my mind is a lot of those shots around the fire sequence. Yeah. I'm sending you one in particular. Those are just, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the silhouettes of the workers like trying demons. to put out the fire. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. They look like yeah. animals. Just, Looks so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that sequence is... I wish I could collage it into one image and have that be my favorite shot. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I don't know if it's my favorite, but on a, the second viewing of Special Moment where uh, there's a scene where Leo is talking to Molly upstairs in her room and he just batted the old evil doctor brothers away who, again, are implicit mm-hmm. in yeah, these yeah. poisonings. And he's getting mad at her because he has to, like, she's wanting him to um, do her shots for her and to be more more careful about only getting insulin and maybe being not trusting these doctors. But um, she she knows what's going on with her family around her, and she's starting to, like, I need to look out for myself here, and I don't know who's doing this, so... But anyway, there's a scene, they're upstairs, and he's getting frustrated with her. But the, the way the scene is framed, because it's it's like the upstairs of a two-story house, and the ceiling is slanted at a certain angle, and the way he's standing over her bed, I'm like, this is giving Nye the Hunter, like, in a, yeah. in a major way. And Nye the Hunter is, you know, this evil incarnate rolls into town and yeah. starts killing the innocent. And I'm like, gosh, I don't know if it's... And there's, like, these two candles that are, like, framing them. I don't know if it's a reference to my favorite movie of all time. But it reminded me a lot of it and had me think about themes in that movie while watching this one. And so that was just a, a, like, cool thing to see 
Again, I don't know if it was purposeful, yeah. but if it was, it's pretty cool. Yeah, really haunting imagery in that sequence. Yeah. A lot of those things, yeah. So that's that's what I got. Um, I think the letterbox review is pretty easy on this one. Yeah, it's five stars. Big five. Big. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be tough to beat at the end of the year on my top ten list. I know. I feel like I've only seen like six movies that came out this year so far. Can not even make a top ten list? You've probably seen more. Let's see. I have a top ten right now. Out of how many? Um, let's see. I can tell you that for 2023, I have seen 29 movies. What? How? Yeah. How is that possible? I, you know, I watch a lot of movies. I don't know. You've seen 23 new movies. 29. How is that possible? Five of them were Wes Anderson movies. Okay. <laughs> I've seen. I'm gonna not include the Wes Anderson movies because they're okay. they're just shorts. I've seen seven movies that came out. You've seen seven 2023 movies? Yes. Wow. I've seen... How have you seen that many? Spider-Verse, Mission Impossible. Dang, okay. The Creator. You watch some movies, don't you? (laughs) I do. I do. I do watch some movies. Okay. What do we got next? Uh, What else have you been watching? Unsung Hero? Brandon Fraser, right? My client! (laughs) That's yours. Mine is easily Jack White jump scare at the end. (laughs) For two seconds. For two lines. He he plays uh, Will Hale writing letters to the Osage saying, I dearly miss you friends after he's gone to jail for murdering them. (laughs) For no reason, Jack White shows up. It's amazing. Um, There's a lot of those, like, this person's here? Um, Yeah. yeah, That's mine. Yeah, what else you've been watching? What have you? What's been on your log list the past? Um, I'll tell you, my Megan and I. It took us a couple of viewings to watch this. Okay. But last night we watched the set, the last hour. So we did that in one sitting of They Live, <laughs> <laughs> and we were dying. I didn't realize laughing. They Live was a an exceptional piece of filmmaking. A film school showing. Yeah, I watched that in a film class, science fiction genre course. Interesting. And I will tell you, my strongest memories of that class are watching They Live. Because when it gets to that alley fight sequence... (laughs) It's like an hour long. And it goes on forever. Like, it was just a hundred students just laughing. Like, because we all got that it was supposed to be funny. Yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think... with watching with people makes it a much better movie, and I liked Did it. Did you watch with Sarah? Yeah, but like, yeah. we were kind of like, okay, this is going along a really long time, right? <laughs> but I, I'd imagine with a crowd, you, you would just be like, <laughs> do a lot of things. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's just, and, and you're just like, just put on the glasses, man. <laughs> <laughs> just put them on. No, <laughs> but it's, I mean, you know, it is a. I think it's, you know, it, it's funny that it's like a film school movie, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like. It, it, it really is a prescient work, mm-hmm. both in terms of, I think, culturally where we're at, right? My letterbox review of They Live was like, every conspiracy theorist nowadays is just Roddy Piper screaming at you to put on the glasses and wake up. Yeah. <laughs> and Wake up, sheeple. It's, 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 it's like it's that. Perfect. It's but, perfect. Yeah. But, but also, like, it's kind of like a transgressive piece of filmmaking in that, uh, to me, like the last couple of minutes after the thing blows up and it, everybody can see all the aliens, it's like it's like such a funny ending. Yeah, <laughs> and and you just get it and you just get the point and 
but but then but then he like slips in the other stuff like the guy from the homeless camp is now like in a tuxedo in their lair and it's like just go with just it loves money just just go with the money <laughs> i do love money i'm greedy yeah. <laughs> it never ends uh so i i don't know it just, it's just a fascinating weirdo 80s movie but yeah you know, I watched In the Mouth of Madness a couple weeks ago, which is another John Carpenter. It was on Criterion. Oh, man. And it and it's like, I in my review, I called it Goosebumps for Grown Ups. Yeah. It's not it's not very good, you know? It's And, and it was fine. Like, it was three, three stars, three and a half stars or whatever. But, like, yeah. I don't know. It's not saying much. It's just like, yeah, ugh. Yeah, you know, ghoulish stuff. Yeah. But they live is like... It's, so good. It's, it's like, the again, like the best... The, to me, the most effective science fiction sci-fi that says something about right now, we, and 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 really good sci-fi will do that. Where you can watch sci-fi from thirty-five years ago and it's still saying something about now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. We watched. We started the fog. We need to finish, but we really liked it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen that. It's a good-looking movie. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you guys been watching? I've just been trying to catch up on my Fincher for Fincher season <laughs> pod coming soon. I went to Goodwill and they have movies there. And I see a guy with a stack of movies and he's flipping one back and forth reading it. I just happen to glance over and it's Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, Criterion. <laughs> and I'm like, that's mine, buddy. That's mine. <laughs> and he's and he's flipping back and and then he goes and he puts it back on the shelf. I'm like, God sees me. Yeah, yeah. And I go over to, gr- and then he snatches it back, starts looking at it again for another five minutes and leaves with it. And I'm like, this? Oh, you bought it? And he, and I'm like, this is a simulation. That movie was put there for me <laughs> in this Reading Goodwill, a Criterion Twin Peaks. Firewalk with me. I'm like, that would round out my David Lynch Criterion collection here. So, alas... I'm I I, get it. I I don't get it, but I'm like whoever donated that donated something else, and it's here. So mm, I dig around and I find another Criterion movie called The Naked Kiss. It was the DVD, mm. so whatever, but still Criterion. Yep. Never heard of it, but it was Criterion, and it was at Goodwill, so I bought it. And it's just baller, four and a half, just very very unique, noir, black and whites. Yeah, one of the craziest twists. I've ever seen in a movie where like my blood ran thin. I was like, "What?" Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and it's playing on. What is it called? The Naked Kiss. Like when you realize, you're like shocked. And it's it's playing on Criterion, HBO Max, Amazon. And Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. It's playing everywhere, but definitely recommend. And it's not that long, so. Ninety minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and there's like some new, some like French New Wave stuff going on, like a little bit, but not in a like sleepy mm-hmm. way. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. good. And then we watched The Craft on Criterion's little Halloween uh, playlist, which is just oh. a it, it's it's Mean Girls with Witches from 1996. <laughs> okay, I see this. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. total vibe. <laughs> that's great. Do we have anything fun. else? Is that all our segments? Uh, that's it. Um, I've been watching a lot of Fincher, too. I'm so excited for The Killer. Which comes out? Uh, I think like November something, really soon. The 10th, November 10th on Netflix. So that's the flowers pod, and uh, you know we killed it. We killed the flower moon, and as the moon rises on our our pod here, it's time to say goodnight. <laughs> that's all you got. That's so, uh, follow us on Instagram at Movies While I Sleep. Send the pod to a movie lover in your life. Rate and review. Get us 
some more fun Magic Mind ads. And uh, shout out Andy Carhall, writer of our theme music. And we'll see you next time for possibly Halloween episode, possibly Killers. Either way. The Killer. The Killer. We're going to do an episode on The Killer's just retrospective, you know, discography. Um, (laughs) It's going to be good. We're switching up the vibe. But uh, in the meantime, good night, y'all. Bye. My client.